Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us, and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? Well, uh, you know, it's a happening day. Let's just put it that way. It's yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is a happening week here at The World Transformed, and we've got a happening show. You, you know, as soon as you said that, I was reminded of that M. Night Shyamalan film, and I hadn't thought about it. Oh, that yeah, thing. yeah. Coming up with <laughs> you know, I never got around to seeing it. I, the word was it was not that great of a film. Uh, did you see it? I saw it. It's not that great of a film. It's maybe the dumbest thing I ever saw in my life. I, I would like to say that. <laughs> okay. Well, I, 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 was a good I would like to say it's the there. dumbest premise for a major Hollywood movie that's been made in the last 20 years. That's my take on the happening. We should talk about it sometime, actually. <laughs> Because well, you know this is this is the earliest we've ever done geek out in a week. I promise you, <laughs> we jumped right to the it. beginning yeah, of the Monday show. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back. We'll come back and do some geeking on better subjects on Friday. But uh, in case you haven't heard, and if if it comes up, my recommendation: you can go ahead and skip the happening, but not it's okay. happening because that's an episode of this program, and it's well worth listening to. And what we're going to talk about is. We're going to talk about some big things that, guess what, they appear to be actually happening. Things that we've been talking about for a long time or that people have anticipated for a long time or that people never really were anticipating but appear to have shown up. They've popped up on the horizon and we seem to be turning the corner on some of these things. So these are mostly topics that are familiar to those who listen to the program. But we got news stories that confirm that significant progress is being made on these things. And the first one is coming back to the subject of Liz Parrish, whom we've talked about numerous times. Of course, she is an independent researcher who has been working on aging research. She's been working on shortening her own telomeres, making herself younger, doing, doing a clin- developing a clinical treatment for aging. And she's been off in the hinterlands doing this because you can't do this work legally in the U.S. And right. my original It's Happening title for this show was based on the fact that there was a headline for a story about her that said, Liz Parrish is getting younger. And I thought, well, there you go. There's confirmation. But unfortunately, that, sh- that story was actually from almost two years ago. And it was just right. Talking, right. talking about the fact that she has started doing this, this course of treatment. And if you look at the results that she has published, it does appear that... The treatment is working, and she is getting younger. But I think the thing that's happening now is Parrish is pushing back and saying, this isn't just an experiment. This is a real course of treatment. This is, a, this is an actual thing that, that needs to happen, and this needs to become something that is recognized and ultimately tested for reals right, in some, in some right. official setting and made into an actual treatment somewhere, that it needs to become officially available someplace. Her, so her the, argument, of course, her argument, of course, is that we, we are a graying planet, right, Phil, that we've got a real demographic problem uh, here in the United States. The baby boomers are a huge generation, right, getting, 
getting uh, getting older as well as and, and it's not just the United States. Japan has a, a big problem, and to a lesser extent, and she talks about China. places I hadn't thought about. I've I've, I've heard about yeah. Europe and I've heard about Japan, but she talks about China, which I hadn't really thought right. about, and in particular uh, little little segments of China like Hong Kong, where it's happening very fast at a rate comparable to to Japan. And you know, yeah, okay. it's, it's a worldwide problem. The, the, well, you know, have... policymakers, it's interesting, her line of attack, because it's not, you want to live longer. It's, we can't afford for people to get old. <laughs> and right. that hits policymakers right where they live. Save your taxpayers, right? And save your tax. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a good argument, I think. Yeah, the, I, I, it be, is. It is. Because I, I think if, it's shrewd. I think it's shrewd and, I, and, and, a, and a good line of attack. If, so. if you look at if you look at where you spend money in your life, it's it's once aging kicks in, right? I mean, that on on healthcare, that's where it that's where it happens. That the that the last few years of a person's life, particularly in the West, particularly in the U.S., is it's the fat end of the curve on healthcare spending for for an entire right. lifetime. That's that's when all the money is spent, and suddenly we've got this demographic time bomb: the baby boomers in the U.S all reaching retirement age or a bit past retirement age now and heading into they're heading into the fat end of that curve they're heading into the place where we're going to spend tons and tons and tons of money on them because of the damage that aging does to bodies well well what if we could avoid that there are there are yeah. ways to avoid that you can say well we just won't treat them but <laughs> that doesn't feel like you yeah, know, the that, American that doesn't kind of fly. approach so um, yeah, that what's, what's the other option she's that, that she's hasn't saying, that hasn't worked up to this point the other option yeah. is, what if you made them healthier and they didn't need all that treatment, right? What if there was one treatment that made the others less necessary, that removed right. a lot of the other problems? And that's what ultimately reversing aging will do. It will not just make people less wrinkled, right? It will not just make people look younger and feel younger and, and add years to their lives, but it will vastly <laughs> reduce diabetes, cancer, heart disease, all of these all of these problems, osteoporosis, all of these problems that go with aging, they go hand in hand with it. And if you, if you start reducing the incidences of those, then, then you can afford to have an older population. And in fact, that, that older population can continue to contribute. And the economy can be made even stronger by the fact that these people are not only not decrepit, but they're still capable and still out there, out there doing things. So rather than spending all that money, you might actually have a much stronger economy as a result. Within this article that you point to, Phil, there's a picture of Elizabeth Parrish. She certainly does not look like she's suffering from the ravages of aging. I'd be a little more impressed if she was not still in her 40s. Yeah, if you uh, look at that picture and you say, oh, this, this woman is 83 years old, now that would be impressive. Yeah, exactly. I would just go, oh my gosh, where do I get this yeah. stuff, you know? <laughs> exactly. But I think that she will, she will get what she's looking for. Either official recognition of her or some other government will just take on the challenge themselves and start doing their own work. And if it happens Absolutely. anywhere, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in Asia first, unfortunately. Yeah, right? and, and then the rest of the world will follow suit quickly. If, and when I say unfortunately, they, I just if, mean for us. It's great for, it's great for the world as soon as somebody starts doing this. Somehow. Oh, yeah, as soon as, as, soon as it's, uh, it's legal somewhere and results are seen, I think other places will follow suit quickly, and it'll be good for everybody. So yeah. I, it, it would be I, very I much in keeping the for the kind of, kind of stuff they do for Japan to take this on. 
I would yeah. I, I, I would not be surprised to learn that there's someone secretly working on this in Japan and to see that this become an, an actual thing there. But we'll see. Right. We'll see where where it where it actually happens. But it is going to happen. This is going to this is going to turn a corner. I think here within the next few years. It's been a few yep. years that, since we heard about Liz Parrish, and I think we're a few years away from her idea becoming much more mainstream than it is. And I think the economic reasons will have an awful lot to do with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Phil, the next story we're going to hit tonight is Alibaba and Microsoft AI beat humans in Stanford reading tests. Okay, so That's- so so this story, the next two fall under the it's happening heading of basically robot apocalypse. Okay, so if you want to know what's happening. <laughs> hey, our, our robot awesomeness here, you know, I mean, uh, if, if robots can read, they can they can help us learn stuff, right? Exactly. That's a great way of looking at it, Stephen. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. The thing is, it's a, it's a very useful skill to have a robot that can understand what it's reading, to, to, have, it, to have an AI that, that comprehends the information that it's receiving. And, All right. And, right. and so when you ask your phone, and it mentioned, it's got a couple of questions here in the article as examples. These are the sort of things people you know, ask their cell phones, right? Uh, what is Nikola Tesla's ethnicity? How big is the Amazon rainforest? Well, the way it answers is often because it's you know it's read something on the web and it, and it spits it back to you, right? Right. It is a wonderful skill in order to answer questions for people and and help us to to get information we need. It's also a core skill for most jobs, right? That's the uh, that's that's the other side of it. It's a, it's kind of a core mm-hmm. skill for general understanding of the world. If you can be shown a text and then basically glean information from it, you, you are that much closer to competing with a human being in the workforce, right? Or True. surpassing a human being in the workforce. I mean, this is, we talk about AIs beating us at games. Now we're looking at the ultimate game, right? <laughs> right? When, you can, when, when you can read a text and, and understand it, that's all of our scholarship is based on that. All of our, you know, in, in some sense, civilization is kind of based on that ability, right? The ability to read stuff and form models of it and act on that information. And up what, to now, what, what if you combine this ability, Phil, with the AI that proposes experiments and then and then performs them? Right. Yeah. yeah. What if you could put both in the same AI, where an AI is out there reading, you know, the latest science papers, realizes that hey, here's an opportunity for research proposes an experiment, does it, and then gets back to us and says, okay, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about a, uh, a, a, an AI winning the Nobel pretty soon uh, under the, that scenario, right? Right. So, well, what if you have four or five of these? And, and in, in addition to beating a reading test and initiating research, they have conversations with each other to spur on yeah. ideas for research, right? At that point, we have pretty much cut ourselves out of the loop, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, the, the AIs will win the Nobel Prizes. They'll, they'll be operating ultimately a million times faster than we will, and science will proceed without our help. Now, it's, it's sort it, of a it, telescoping of the future, right? I mean, in a way, you're, you're pulling, you know, you're reaching a couple hundred years in the future sometimes and pulling something out, right? Because if, if these things can operate, at, at digital speeds, and they can talk with one another, and they can read everything and propose, propose and do experiments. Not only have we cut ourselves out of the loop, but uh, you know, in a way, we get to we get to shoot further into the future real fast, right? 
Yeah, so, absolutely. Sort of, absolutely. Sort of and, I, and I think the cutting ourselves out of the loop is probably not a thing that we need to worry about quite so much because this is still a very highly structured thing. Uh, this is this right. is still where you have to give it the text and you have to give it the questions and then it gives you the right answers. I mean, yes, it's scoring higher than humans on a reading comprehension test, but it's still just scoring higher than kids on a reading comprehension test. So I mean, there's there's a lot of caveats that you can that you can attach to this. And is it robots have run amok and are taking over the world? Well, it's not yet that. And actually, on Wednesday's show, I think we're going to probably get into reasons why a world where robots are doing this kind of where machines are doing this kind of stuff in a world where we want to have some viable role will be a lot more compatible than than we tend to think but it's very interesting to see this happen and once again very interesting to see that this one at least got some headlines okay i think yeah. at least yeah. at, at least this one people recognize that that's a big thing that's you know that's yeah. kind of a that's that's kind of a big deal when 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 artificial intelligence starts reading better than we do starts understanding what it's reading better than we do. We've definitely we've definitely turned a corner and something major is about to happen. And I think the applications of this are going to be immense. You mentioned science and I think we're it would be hard even to characterize how big it will be for science. I mean, there's a there's so much science that goes on that's meta-analysis, right? Going right. back through the research and just reading all the studies and making sense and, and drawing new conclusions well, out pulling, of that. Yeah, pulling new information out of the raw data. I mean, that's yeah. huge. And, and that's something that uh, is a, a, a machine would be well suited to do. Absolutely. Well, it, and yeah. if it understands what it's reading, it can do it. You know, I mean, it can do it in a way that before it, it was just it, it was looking for patterns in the data. It wasn't doing something that we would call comprehending what it was reading, right? But yeah. But but now apply that same meta-analysis to the news, right? Apply that same meta-analysis to all of literature, right? And and suddenly you've got an AI that is going to be potentially coming to insights that we can't even really imagine, coming up with solutions we can't even really imagine. And imagine being able to do that kind of analysis, that kind of understanding what it's reading analysis on all the social interaction that's going on on the web. I think there, there are a lot of really potentially huge things that, that we can do with that kind of information. Yeah, some really scary things, no doubt. Some some really chilling, oh, would we really want to go there kind of things, but also just really useful applications that we haven't even begun to imagine yet. It's going to be yeah. a completely different world. Uh, this is the next step towards thinking computers. I mean, truly, th they're like us, computers, and it's going to be a very different world, for sure. Right. Like, for example, what if they start reading our minds? Okay, that's the next story. <laughs> next story there. Uh, neural <laughs> network built by Japanese researchers can, quote, read minds, end quote. Is this a case of the headline uh, overselling this bill? What have we got? Uh, not much. And what's interesting is this is we, – we've heard about these kinds of things before, that this is, this is that research where they – basically the human is looking at pictures – and they're recording brain waves as, as the human looks at pictures, and the and the computer is doing pattern analysis, looking at the looking at the photo and looking at the basically the brain waves. I'm vastly oversimplifying what happens here, okay? But you get the you get the idea. So so you've got a a deep learning module that's looking at pictures and it's looking at human brain waves, and over time you can then just show it the brain waves and it starts to reconstruct the picture. And we've seen this before but it's moved along significantly. What we saw before was very simple, just kind of 
putting the pixels out there. Now we've got what they're calling deep image reconstruction. And the AI is, is looking at complex pictures with colors and depth and you know, a lot of information in there. And it's doing a fairly good job, I would say, of reproducing these pictures. I don't know, Stephen, if you have that Singularity Hub story in front of you, but take a look at the take a look at the AI guesses on those on those images, and what do you think? Getting pretty close, right? And, <laughs> it's uh, getting it's getting closer all the time. One one of the things that's interesting to me is if you look at, for example, the the attempts to recreate at the owl. I would say, okay, that's really interesting. That machine learning algorithm was trained on a lot of images of dogs, okay? Yeah, because <laughs> it does. Right? It kind of looks like a dog. Uh, yeah, it's it's looking it's looking at the human pattern for for looking at an owl, and it's seeing all these dog characteristics, and it's giving us an owl that kind of looks like a dog. And uh, to a lesser extent, that's true with the cheetah. And what's really funny to me is, look at that picture of the stained glass window, and then ask okay. yourself how many images of a smartphone was this thing trained on, right? Because, <laughs> right, you're, you're, looking at a, you're looking at a stained glass window and, and it's reading your mind, but it's seeing, it's seeing a smartphone. So I think these algorithms still have to be trained a lot more than they currently are, that there's still a ways to go, but I don't know. Uh, you know, when you, when you consider that it's drawing those pictures basically from whole cloth, just looking at brainwaves, that is pretty interesting. The, the idea well, that eventually put it, put it this way, Phil. If uh, if if there were a limited set of pictures that I had to choose from, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw what came back from the computer, I you know, and I I would be able to say, okay, out of the six possible images that this person is thinking of, I'm fairly confident that it is the uh, uh, it is the owl. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, you I, could. I, I, I could, think you could match them all up. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah. I think I could. You know. I uh, do a pretty good job of matching them up, yeah. Yeah, so it's at least gotten that far. It's, it's gotten to the multiple choice stage. Um, yeah. If, if, if not quite the, it's a dead-on rendering of the picture. Uh, there's, there, there, there's still a ways to go. But, hey, keeping with what I was saying before, look at the one of the, look at the, one of the airplane, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think a little bit this, like a uh, UFO, doesn't it? I was going to say, it was trained on a bunch of UFO images. That's right. Or, <laughs> or maybe yeah. that just goes to show you that most of the flying saucers we see must be just airplanes. Right. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> that there's there's some there's some deep set of patterns in 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 the visual there that that are closely connected. Anyway, it's it's very interesting, and it speaks to I don't know some uh, some potential that people might find chilling, but th- th- that I think has a lot of implications for entertainment, a lot of implications for creating really rich virtual reality. As soon as computers can understand what's happening inside our brains in order to create visual information, and you can reverse that, then you've got this really powerful ability to feed us stuff, which, yes, there's, there's all kinds of potential for abuse there, but all kinds of potential for just world building and creating new kinds of experiences that, that we can't even imagine. But yeah, it's kind of scary. Well, the idea of a computer reading your brain is scary. I, although at, at this point, you still have to be hooked up I imagine to a pretty intense kind of EEG rig for anything like that. I'm going to tell you an application that I think that would be uh, extremely popular, or and it's a, it would be a totally different sort of AI system. I, I appreciate this, but uh, what if uh, it was a poker face uh, interpreter, right? I mean, what if uh, 
What if uh, an AI was able to determine that the person in front of you is 70% likely to be lying to you? Right, you know? right. And, and it's based on facial cues, body language, things like that. A completely different kind of system, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the sort of mind reading that might be helpful, right? Well, well in fact, I that, think that, that calls to mind. Let's just let's skip down to the end, and then we'll come back to our cure for cancer. We should always end on a cure for cancer anyway. The, yeah. the update I've got here, maybe sometimes it's not happening. You remember the story from mid to late last year about the AI that can tell that you're gay, right? It was yeah. it, it, it was facial recognition and it, and it was much better at saying this person is heterosexual, this person is gay than humans are. If you compared the data, the, this algorithm was much better at it. Well, here, here's an interesting story that says the algorithms aren't really revealing sexual orientation so much as they are exposing our stereotypes. And it turns out that maybe whether someone is heterosexual or homosexual is not encoded in their face. It turns out it's probably encoded in a lot more kind of superficial stuff. You're more likely to wear glasses well, one know, way. You're, you're, you're more likely to have facial hair. Well, I, I think, and, and I think it might be a little harsh to say it exposes our stereotypes. Um, well, but maybe that's absolutely true. I think it, it exposes the way we present ourselves, right? Well, it it, if, it, it, does, if, it doesn't actually just expose our stereotypes. It, it exposes or pardon me, but valid stereotypes, right? Uh, you know, right, stereotypes right. that work. It's, because at the end of the day, the algorithm was better than humans at spotting stuff, right? So it, <laughs> it, was, it was getting to the information somewhere. But what that tells you is there's no actual, there's not necessarily an actual cue in the face itself, right? Meaning right, right. that, yes, there might be more, gay guys who wear glasses than straight guys, or there might be more gay guys with facial hair, or however it breaks down. I can't remember how it breaks down in the story. Eyeshadow content is going to be different on one kind of face than another. But there are going to be plenty of straight women who don't wear eyeshadow, right? Plenty of straight guys with beards. So you would, you would immediately hit a limit as to how effective this thing could be. Because right. if it's, you know, so, so it's doing better than humans because it recognizes a few superficial things that we don't. But it's never going to be 100% accurate. And it's possible that your that your poker tell spotter might suffer from the same limitations down the road. That yeah, yeah. That, I mean, uh, there's only so much that a glance can can uh, communicate. And uh, yeah, and and maybe it can communicate a lot more to a machine than it can to us. But maybe not everything. Maybe it it can't get quite to the quite to the level of showing the picture that's in your head, right, which is, which is what we're talking to, about. To some extent, we, we can choose how much information about ourselves that we want to put out there, right? If, uh, if, if you choose to dress like, uh, you know, every day as if you're going to the Mardi Gras, then perhaps uh, you're, tell, you're, you're putting some information out there about yourself. <laughs> Just well, we, I mean, we, do, we deliberately do that. We deliberately right. present a lot of information about ourselves and in, in how we choose to and how we choose to dress. And some of it, we don't think about it in terms of what we're saying about ourselves, in terms of right. categorizing us as people. You know, categorizing us as people, we're just saying this is who I am, right? This is I'm expressing my individuality or whatever. And it turns out right. that the more you express your individuality, 
the more easily you are clumped into a, a certain group. How ironic! But uh, that's uh, <laughs> perhaps so. Perhaps that's so. that's that's the way that works. Once I, you put machine I, learning I, I, on the I'm, case, I'm expressing my individuality by uh, dressing as generically as possible from now on. Yeah, <laughs> by being as much like these other people as I possibly can. As possibly there it is. Can. All right, Stephen. So take us home. We got a cure for cancer happening. What's going cure on? Cure for cancer now, Phil. I cannot believe we've missed this particular story for so long. In August of last year, the FDA approved CAR-T cell, uh, cell therapy. And let me just kind of explain what this CAR-T cell therapy is. It's just a type of cancer treatment that involves the process of using the patient's T cells. That's a type of white blood cell. Mm-hmm. So that you're, you're, you harvest from the, bring out of the blood, uh, the patient's own white blood cells, their own T cells. Right. And... Then in the laboratory, you alter them. You're you're uh, putting receptors on the on these uh, on these T cells that are specific to their cancer. Oh. Okay, and so and then you put them back in the body, and they go to work killing that uh, that cancer. It, it, you know, I mean, right right now the way we are just you know from the factory fill is uh, often our our bodies actually protect the cancer because they don't recognize it as something different from the body, right? Right. Uh, this, this is putting that recognition into, uh, into the T cells, putting them to work. And guess what? Those, those T cells, they, uh, they divide, they reproduce, they stay in the body. One treatment, and the body is forever alerted to that kind of cancer and will fight it forever. Very and, exciting. This, this yeah. reminds me a lot of... We've talked. We've talked about immune therapy for cancer years ago, and we talked about. Right. I can't remember the name of the scientist we spoke to who was doing blood transfusions and and was specifically looking at how immune system the 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 ability of the of the body to create immune cells was going to have a huge say in whether or not people could become immune to cancer, or whether they could whether they could deal with cancer better. And, and there was a lot of emphasis on, it turns out, younger blood cells and people who live in warmer climates who get more sun, they had these stronger immune systems. But this is, this is that whole idea on steroids, right? Because you're taking a person's oh, yeah. own immune system and you're weaponizing it, right, against, uh, right. against cancer, essentially. And, and their specific cancer. So that, uh, you know... You, it recognizes, oh, this is this is you know a bad thing here, and let me let me attack this, and and it stays in the body, and so if that cancer were to happen to pop up again later, it would deal with it probably before the uh, patient even realized they were out of remission, right? Right. So they're using it on leukemia, uh, but essentially this could work for just about any kind of cancer down the road. It, it would it would seem that this uh, this meth could uh, could be tailored to to any kind of cancer. Now there's some uh, there's some side effects right now they're dealing with their, uh, with some uh, some brain swelling issues in, in a, just a couple of cases but it looks like that can be mitigated and so and this and this is sort of a uh, it, right now is being treated uh, as a last ditch thing if if uh, standard methods of chemotherapy and, th- and radiation don't work then we'll try this kind of thing so you're you're already dealing with very sick people but it's showing. At least in one steady fill, 90% uh, effectiveness of getting people into remission. And, th- and so you're talking about 90% effectiveness in getting people into remission where everything else has failed? Yeah, these it won't be the last ditch people, for long. Yeah, this, this yeah, will not. This, yeah. this, uh, maybe, maybe we need to turn 
turn the uh, the the basket over and do this first, right? I don't know. It, it ultimately it, it seems like it goes that way, um, but we just got to get more comfortable with this as a therapy. And uh, so I, it's a very very exciting. The article that we're post, uh, you know, that we're pointing to in uh, in our show notes is from the Christian Post. But what actually alerted me to this was was a video on YouTube uh, from the Cold Fusion channel. So just Cold Fusion Car T. Uh, would probably pull it up, and a uh, really good video explains it in much greater detail than we just have. So I, I know we're out of time, too. but if, if, this is, if this is not a powerful demonstration of the thing we talk about, which is that the big stories don't get the coverage they should, you need to go right. to the Christian Post, no offense to the Christian Post, or the Cold Fusion Journal, whatever, whatever you said, to, to get yeah. the cure for cancer, right? Because... It's not showing up in the major news sources. That is the <laughs> well, we, we just uh, when we turn on the news, we expect to hear the bad stuff, right? And that's often that's right. what they, what's, if it bleeds, it leads. But th- this is, uh, there's so much good stuff happening that, uh, you know, uh, take a minute every now I'm and then. I'm glad somebody's covering it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad the word's getting out there. Well, somebody was, and now we are. So now it's really out there. So <laughs> listen up, folks. Cancer's being cured. It's happening. All right. Well, that's going to have to do it. We've covered a few things that are happening, but we've only scratched the surface. And of course, we'll keep exploring the big things that are happening in the weeks and months to come. Look forward to being back with you all on Wednesday. We'll have a brand new show. Great talking with you, Stephen. And until next time, live to see it. 